0: Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're well, staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, let's not mess around, let's get right at it. Later on, we'll get to know Claire Pooley, the Cambridge-educated author of Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. After working in advertising for 20 years, it dawned on her that her daily wine o'clock habit was out of control. She wrote the popular Mummy Was a Secret Drinker blog and a memoir called The Sober Diaries, uh, which was published in 2017 to great acclaim. Her latest novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting, is an entertaining book about unexpected friendships and the joy of connecting. That's a little bit later on. First, let's meet Alan Laro. He's a Canadian Academy Award-winning writer and director of the animated short film Piper. He's been a successful supervising animator on many other popular theatrical releases, including The Incredibles, Incredibles 2, *Wally*, e and Brave. He began his career in animation at the age of 16 and spent more than 25 years at Pixar Animation Studios. He still works in animation, but has taken on a new creative outlet that's writing. His first book, a middle grade novel called Where the Water Takes Us, is available now wherever fine books are sold. It's a stirring story about a sensitive, shaken young girl who must face that growing up means coming to terms with the things that you cannot change and taking responsibility for the things you can. Alan Barry Laro, joined me via Zoom from Vancouver. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, Congratulations on the book. We'll get there uh, eventually. But I kind of want to set the table first a little bit. Uh, Tell me a little bit about Saturday Night at the Movies and that show and how it had an influence on you for people who aren't in Ontario. Saturday night at the movies was Elby Yost, the host who did it for years, who would play a classic movie every Saturday night on TVO, and it was hugely popular for many years. It's not on now, but it was a real influence on you.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I and so many Canadians. Um, it was—I so, mean, it was—I don't even know where to begin without getting emotional about it because. You know, there'd be hockey playing hockey night in Canada will be playing, and depending mm. on my team was losing or not. My mom would be <laughs> upstairs watching Saturday night movies. It was a thing we did together. And you know, it opened the world. Those interviews were phenomenal. Uh, education of not only the films, classic films I fell in love with, but um the opportunity to, to hear how they were made, it, it all made it tangible. Like uh that was actually there people that make these. It's it, it kind of whole he was OEOs oh, was so good at pulling back the curtain and and um if i just fell in love with film um and storytelling it became one of those moments where you go this is people do this they like they they're crazy enough to tell stories and
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um well
0: wow. it's so important i think to to have that kind of influence i i knew i wanted to be a writer but it wasn't until i actually met someone who had written something and had it published that I realized, oh, it is possible to do that. I interviewed someone the other day, an artist named John Klassen, and he told me that watching the DVD extras on Aladdin and The Little Mermaid and that sort of thing made him realize that it's a job that people could have and that if people could have it, then he could have it.
1: Oh, that's so right. It's funny you're talking to John, because he, he's, uh, for Canadian reference, he's my poker room. Like when he's there, <laughs> we can never be in the same room together. When I go in Niagara Falls and then move to Markham, he moved from Markham to Niagara Falls, went to the same school, we have the same friends. We're at the same publisher, same, the same editor. It's, but, you know, you'll never see the two of us together. It's impossible. Interesting. <laughs> and I'm
0: interviewing you on separate days. So it's, yeah, <laughs> There we go. <laughs>
1: I yeah, you know, I mean, just to go back to that a little bit, the Canadian especially when you leave um you always realize what you what you what you have you know what mm-hmm. you've gained and that access of Elos and art and um the kind of access to seeing it made um shaped shaped a lot of folks that are in Hollywood and uh, otherwise that I come to work with you know it was definitely um I wasn't the the only one to say that Saturday night movies had a huge impact on them you know
0: yeah and you began your career in animation at 16 years of age. What were you doing at 16? It
1: was, there was a wonderful co-op. I was going to school with Brother Andre and Markham, and uh, there was a co-op you could take for art. And I had already like, used up so many of my art classes. And, and this sounds so embarrassing now, but I looked up animation in the phone book. And, and you know, the first thing was this wonderful commercial house, animation house. And I called them and said, could I, a co-op, could I come and you know clean sweep the floors anything um and that actually shifted my perspective in film completely of what I learned rather than going to school um I of course did go to Sheridan eventually but actually seeing how productions were made and you know punching cells and cleaning cells and xeroxing and doing rotoing um that was such an education um
0: And those are all terms that you don't hear very often anymore, (laughs) cells, rotoscoping, all that kind of thing. It's all done digitally now. But the background in that, I guess it it was much more analog, but does it give you a a sort of a deeper understanding of it cell by cell when you're building something literally picture by picture, it has to increase your, your intent while you're doing it? 100%.
1: Hundred uh, percent it's tactile and you have to make choices. And you know, with computers, one of the hardest things is you switch to a place like Pixar and great animation. You're you accept the the danger is you accept what it's giving you versus being stuck with a blank page. The first time I talked to students, it's like that it's not that you draw well. That's forget that. <laughs> just just pay attention that you've had to make decisions in your writing and your drawing. Like when you have to write something versus correct it, you make choices, you learn from those mistakes.
0: You're listening to Alan Berry Laro on The Richard Krauss Show. His debut novel, Where the Water Takes Us, is available now wherever fine books are sold. And not only that, it's fun.
1: You know, I remember being with Brad Bird, um, and he's like, we we're looking at an old Bolex machine, and like, oh, I got, you guys are too young for this. I was like, no, I've used that. (laughs) And you sweat under those lights. Um, (laughs) So it's a good experience, I think.
0: I remember editing audio uh, in one of my first jobs in radio on a reel-to-reel tape deck. And so it's a razor blade and reels. And you would have, if it was a complicated piece with lots of elements to it. You'd have dozens of little strips of, of tape that all looked exactly the same. And you had to be very careful labeling and you had to really know what you're doing. It was, I, I, I kind of miss the, the challenge of those days, but digital editing is way easier. I'll tell you.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I always, for folks that aren't filmed to me, it's, it remind I don't know about you, but it reminds me of um, restaurant work in the sense mm-hmm. of there's a there's an energy that comes with that, uh, you know. I have to get out for service. You have to get these. There's the chaos of film that um, kind of almost attracts the same personality, and um, so I, 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 I like that 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 kind of in the moment with your own creative skills. You know, so many jobs are truly creative. If people look at it that way. It's actually very similar. You know, you're, you're you're having to put it together. It's never perfect. It's all smoke and mirrors, and you're taping sound <laughs> together and splicing. It's you're just you know it's you know film is like 24 frames uh, mistakes a second you know yeah. you're you're as far as the artists are concerned you're, you're just watching it and wincing uh you know any film that <laughs> put out or you know been a part of is is always like you know you're, hold, you're holding tight uh, <laughs> hoping people don't notice
0: Well, you were at Pixar for 23 years. I mean, this is an incredible run uh, at one place. I don't think, though, uncommon. Everyone that I talked to from Pixar said, oh, yeah, I know. I've worked there for 18 years. I've been there for 20 years. It seems to be a place where you go and then you you, you stay for long periods of time. Now, maybe part of that is that the projects take a very long time. Uh, But uh, tell me about the learning experience. I've been to the Pixar campus and was just kind of blown away by the uh, the the creative kind of energy that you can just feel kind of radiating out of that place
1: that, that's it exactly and it and it comes you know you're in school i mean you have one side of it is the Steve Jobs factor that is very intentionally building a school campus with education money and you know there's a that that came in a point if I was, you know date myself in the 90s where you would work on a film you go leave and you do something else all these artists have all these interests like hey i got to leave because i'm recording my album and i'm going on tour And it was the first place you go and they go, no, no, do all that, do all that, you know, but but just come back and make that next movie. Um, You know, you you know, there's that aspect. And then there's this, um, you know, it's always people, you know, they're they're not nothing more than people in these buildings. And um, what does it mean other than that? And a lot of John Lasseter, everyone had learned from The Nine Old Men and was passed on CalArts. Many of the directors were passing on the craft Mm -hmm. and that was that was a remarkable experience because it, it's a hand, it's not um, the handing down a trade the way you would imagine, you know, this, this is exactly how you would put this tile down. So practical um, and being a part of the story, the story uh, structure clearly, you know, shaped me. Um,
0: well, they were taking chances with the work that they were doing at the moment that you were there. They were making films like Wally which uh, I still look at today and it's 2001 for children, except that it is a a movie that just resonates so loudly. It's such a brilliant piece of work.
1: Reading that script, I remember when Andrew called me up to his office and and just being blown away and I, I, it it allowed me to realize that you take chances. You know, I, I think what was such a um an eye-opening experience was everybody was cognizant of, hey, if you got it's such a gift to make a movie, it's such a gift to be able to r- write a, a novel. The, the least you can do is is give it everything and take, go, go all the way and take take those chances. And, and they, they lived by it and went for it. And you know, the hope was you're not following trends. you you're if if mm-hmm. if you feel like um it's it's interesting to you and all all of us and we're really honest about that um then hopefully it resonates with others so i i it's funny even leaving pixar it was it's funny to say it was the most pixar thing i could do it's like this is how i was trained i have to like unfortunately you taught me to do this i have to say the story that i'm telling is takes Takes precedence over anything else. That I, and if that's a novel, that's a novel. And you don't just shift it to a marketplace and say, "Hey, this is a great." So not very responsible as a parent with three kids to say, "How would I quit this awesome job in a pandemic and become a novelist?" That's that seems like the right thing to do right now. Um, but that's exactly exactly what I did. Um, and it feels it feels like um, that's that's what you should do as a storyteller, right? And that's what I learned from. And I, I felt like they fall. Fo- I'm following their example.
0: Well, let's talk about that switch a little bit because Pixar, from what I understand, is very collaborative. You know, you're you're working on a film for years. You will have uh, showings where screenings where the whole company gets together and everyone gives you notes and you're allowed to talk and, and are encouraged to speak freely. Uh, as a writer, though, it's a solitary life. And so, it's a much different thing. So, tell me a little bit about uh, the switch from this incredibly collaborative uh, thing into working, sitting in a room, maybe the room you're sitting in here on the Zoom interview. <laughs> that chair and, right there, yes. Yeah, um, and, and working by yourself.
1: You know, on, um, in one way, it's prepared me for, you know, the story The story chops, I would like to say, and the exercise of what, what you know, the rhythm like running a marathon, you know you have to hit those marks and you, and you want to put thoughts through those paces. On the other hand, writing a novel is completely, uh, terrifying and, and, uh, vulnerable. Um, and my editor actually had to really talk me into it because it's, it's, um, you're you are alone you know it's nice to stand around 200 people w- with you going we all did this together versus like no no this is very much me um piper uh, exposed me to that to be honest as a director and giving me that experience
0: yeah that's your for people who don't know that's your academy award-winning short film tell me what you learned from that experience because i think it's probably reflected uh you know in where the water takes us somewhere but oh, take yeah. the dots for no, me
1: no doubt you're you're uh yeah i feel like i could lay down on the couch in the therapist office now you have me you have me marked attract <laughs> exactly. exactly there's no piper without wally uh you know there's no the experience uh at that level of um performance and acting without dialogue Panama, I mean, you know that's a deep dive in buster keaton um also vaudeville and experience more akin to theater where you try performance um Wally would do shots and you play it in front of everyone as everybody knows we're all in a room and you you play your scene like you're in a theater uh you know acting it out and you maybe thought that character this is a moment where I'm going to make everybody laugh and then the notes are I don't know that was very it was very sensitive you know why while he was crying in that scene and you go back you know you you hone you hone your craft so Piper was I needed Andrew uh Stanton's support on that. You know, first thing he said to me is, you know, what you're trying to do here is really challenging because one wrong turn in the audience is following a different story. Um, and the actors and the animate, that's actually where I'd love to live. Once you've experienced that as a as an animator, an actor and a director, the balance of that of performance that can I can I it takes repetition um to get those performances to make them see um, to seem that way. And that that definitely plays into Where the Water take a, Takes Us, uh, the, my novel, even, even to the point of making my kids, dragging them in and going, you guys are going to have to read this and playing <laughs> off the dialogue because I want it to feel natural. I want it to feel genuine and have like a truthfulness to it.
0: You're listening to Alan Laro on The Richard Krause Show. His debut novel, Where the Water Takes Us, is available now, wherever fine books are sold. Your children, I think, are a source of inspiration for you. Not just a sounding board, but a, a source of inspiration for you, I think, in terms of of piper i i could draw a very straight line there and i think with this <laughs> new book which is about uh you know a a young girl who has to uh face things and grow up and in, in the in the face of things that she doesn't quite understand uh and i'm sure that a lot of that must have been observational just watching your children grow up a
1: hundred hundred percent you know i used to tell the crew on piper that you know the parent in piper's the parent i wish i was um you know letting their child i'm hovering in the anxiety of that letting your kids grow up and that all plays into my stories um uh completely even the novels that are coming there and i i don't look far from my own life uh even when piper that's very close to uh you know where where um where i would always run on the beach and, and mm-hmm. play with the kids and then these stories tend come I, I i don't i don't feel ashamed of that i feel like i've learned from the best that that's actually pulling from specificity of your life, hopefully will resonate with folks. So I, I try to make it as specific as possible. So yeah, my um, even we had twins and that's a big part of the story and where the water takes us of, you know, what, what does she do when there's this, uh, when the parents are having this difficult birth, she gets sent to her grandparents. And, um, you know, that uh, there again, I, I love stories where characters define their place in the world rather than conquer it. So, you know, finding yourself and and who you are really uh resonate with me. And I, I hope readers.
0: You talk about specificity. And I always think the more specific a story is, in a weird way, the more universal it can become, because you will in that specific situation find a character that's an outsider that you will uh resonate with or whatever it might be but you know sports movies are never about the sports they're always about something that is that is bigger than the story itself and that's where it seems counterintuitive but specificity i think equals universality in storytelling so often
1: oh we are we are in 100 percent agreement and i've chased (laughs) that all the time and um everything about i think my experience has been that um, for acting and is trying to find the truth and sincerity and and uh, and even looking to different art forms you know I don't don't know how you feel but when I'm in film I look at I don't look at film as much or animation especially when I'm in and then when I'm in writing a novel I don't want to look at novel I want to look you know music and tone and um, you know even film again anything to kind of shake you and get you in in the right moment but not not actually take from uh, and be specific about your own uh your own kind of experience. Um you know, I remember I've had the privilege because Pixar had such a good connection with the studio Ghibli that it was the first place in the United States where the, the films would be screened, but we also sometimes get the privilege of going to see him and you know seeing Miyazaki.
0: The, who, an, a, an anime legend uh sorry yeah, absolute, I, absolute genius. Yeah absolute genius uh who uh people who know know.
1: Yes, thank you, and 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 the curiosity. I mean, uh, of of that, um, you know. Hey, if you've never started a fire, you know, famously, like then don't you can't animate that scene. That it should come from life life experience, and uh, I feel like that always resonates. It's always funny too, because once even the animators at Pixar, once uh, people get to know you, they're like, "Wait, you, did you do that one scene?" Because rubbing your arm the way you know Mr. Incredible did, you start <laughs> you start to reveal behind the curtain. You're like, "No, forget about that. That's not." <laughs> but it really is, you know, the personalities of the people, you know, that's that collective art form where when you're going to a novel, it is it's it's more you and that the vulnerability of being an actor, I think, has saved me. And I say actor, I, I see an animator as an actor and you mm. and you have to be willing to kind of get up there and and embarrass yourself and and take that. The more vulnerable you can be, I feel the more it um, it helps the story. So that, that was definitely um, a challenge to do that in my first novel.
0: And will you return to animation at some point or what 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 happens now?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm actually working at Passion Pictures um as well. And yeah, they're great Stu. I it's like saying to an artist, um, you know, how do you choose between clay and watercolor and art? you, you want to do it all and they and you you see the properties of of all of them of well, what's you know, I always go back to um, and it's not me being brilliant, it's more of what I've learned is go, what is the real root of what you're trying to say? And what then what's the best way of expression? Just be honest about that. And if the film takes you in a direction that has a certain power and, and and novels have this beautiful power that I've always honestly, I was too scared to even attempt. And the Academy Award, it's sad to say that gave me enough confidence to say, I think I would like to try this. I um I'm gonna be gutsy here.
0: Listen, um, if I-, I had an Academy Award, I would be wearing it as a brooch or a uh, <laughs> around my neck on a chain. Everywhere I went, is it back in there? Is it in your room somewhere? No, there? You
1: know, I don't want it near me. It's, it becomes like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where it's like, uh, my pressure, like you don't want the pressure, right? Like, get away from me, I don't want to think about it. You're in the way. Um, but no, you, you know, I, I think what I would share with it is, uh, maybe maybe that's not as obvious, is it's not the word itself and the and the you know, getting up on stage, which is to me it was absolutely terrifying. You spent your whole life. Avoiding, you know, drawing in the back of class and not have being called upon to, you know, do a presentation. That was in, intense. Um, but, but it's actually a week leading up to it where you're with artists and you you're actually with your colleagues that you you've admired your whole life and and they're all there's these threads of how hard and how many years it's taken. Um, you know, ten years on this idea. Um, and how they persevered how the risks they took pay off regardless of the award you start to go wait um, the work i admire the most regardless of that i'm seeing this through line of a very tight team a a real honesty a real clarity of what they're trying to say faults and all Um, and that is what actually pushes you to go well isn't that worth it you know and uh, better to try and give it your all um than not to try it all kind of thing
0: when you're up there was that as you're standing on that Academy stage, was that in the years still that Jack Nicholson was in the front row or had he moved on by that he point? Had
1: moved on, but I was warned by Pete Doctor to be very careful not to look down. And because what you don't realize is it's so well lit when you get up there and you see everybody and your brain kind of snaps in half when you yeah. see all those actors just go, hey, give you, a, you start to like, <laughs> you start to, like, and there's, a, there's, I don't know if I should share this, but it's funny to me. You get up there, and there's this massive clock. I mean, the size of a wall. You're talking, and it's just it's already at like 10, 9, 8. And someone's like saying, you know, they're, they're and they me, get off wrap it up. And so you're extremely distracted. You know, my parents were up in the, in the balcony, and I'm looking up there. You know, it's in it, my wife's there, it's it was very, uh, you know, please don't fall over and and just try to try to, you know, one of those acting, like take a breath and try to breathe. But I couldn't even tell you if I remember the moment. And then when you're walking down, you know, uh, they take you through the back. And I honestly, I laid right on the floor and and uh, <laughs> a lot of people do. It's almost like a, a emergency room triage. You know, they, they should, should get, have little they're, fainting they're, couches or something just, in the back. There. Yeah. Yourself, we go, what just happened? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a surreal experience. It's really, really fun I, um, to to go through. But the real value, um, wh- you know, almost happens beforehand, where where you, mm-hmm. where you get to uh, get to talk about the art form and and, and be inspired
0: you talk about seeing people in the in the audience when you're up on a stage like that i've never done anything close to that except one year i gave away an award at just for laughs i have a gala and and i don't remember who i was giving the award to uh but i had the award in one hand and i was I, and i made a joke I made a joke in front of 900 comedians. It was the stupidest thing that I could possibly have done. I looked down in the front and it was quite well lit. I could see everybody. And I saw Gary Shandling just put his head in his hands like that. (laughs) And I I don't know whether it was the joke or whether he was jet lagged or what, but it broke me. It absolutely (laughs) broke me.
1: <laughs> I love it, you know, it's like why not and to see uh and to just see everybody's human and just as nervous and you know um that kind of see behind that curtain it it only um steals your nerves to say you know, it feels very high school to me. We're all trying. You know, half, yeah. there's half the kids are like, please don't call my name, please. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other half is so comfortable. They on are leaning in, you know, like, please let me up and pull up.
0: You're listening to Alan Berilero on The Richard Krauss Show. His debut novel, Where the Water Takes Us, is available now wherever fine books are sold. And it,
1: it just, uh, it's really natural and human and, uh, you know, that 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 to me you gotta, you gotta find the fun in, in, in that kind of thing and not take it, not take it too seriously. But um, yeah, at the, at the same time, it it did give me the confidence. Well, you know, what it told me too, was it takes years to do this and it's just work in front of you. So for those listening who want to be an author, an animator, filmmaker, it, you know, it is, the work is involved. If you want it done in a year or two, maybe I feel like your judgment of yourself is really harsh and what i've come to realize is like you know this novel took me 6 years the next one the seven uh, piper was five i i found that that's my my natural pace and i kind of accept myself that well i can put it, i'll put in the work and that that'll be worth it in the end versus um trying to give myself a deadline and go oh, look i'm not i'm not a writer I, it, animation teaches you that you know before you even do an acting scene you got to well, how does the anatomy work and how you, where's your hip bone go? So you, you're like, ah oh, all this, as Brad Bird would say, you know, ha- have to eat your broccoli first before you get right. to dessert, you know, and there's just <laughs> a lot of broccoli to eat and it's good for you.
0: <laughs> I always look at a blank page uh, as potential. And that's the only way that I have been able to write as much as I've done uh, in the books and things is that I'm not freaked out by it anymore. I think a lot of younger writers and people starting out, you get freaked out. I got to fill this up with words. And I mean, eventually that will happen. But you have to see it as the potential first and not just this, this insurmountable thing that you have to try and conquer. Just
1: You're absolutely right. And uh, I still have a habit, all my sketchbooks, the first page I don't draw on. I don't like the pressure. I ignore it. Go on to the next start making a mess start making mistakes um you know it's it's what your thought process is i think i think we're tracking now was i on the right track was i digging in the right place is there value there and the idea of did i write a beautiful sentence or uh, do a beautiful drawing i actually switched to pens even just a drawing just to stop myself from trying to be precious and go oh that's redo and uh and don't don't worry about it
0: well isn't the old saying that uh perfection is the enemy of good yeah. and and so when you try so hard to make things perfect that you can suck the guts out of it somehow
1: oh yeah there there there's something the flaws that's beautiful and unique to you and how how you see the world and, and even things you can't see that you you have to be careful not to uh to run over uh and and you I don't think you can see it in the moment you have to kind of look back and and uh and learn from it kind of thing and put it put it forward
0: you're working on another one now you say you've put seven years in on on the new book
1: yeah I've uh the next a few books will be coming out through candlewick and uh pandemic was a very productive moment for me to uh to bear down um yeah I just turned in the manuscript uh, um and I'm so excited my my goal um you know this book for me is the book that I wanted to read at the cottage in the summer on the lake—that I think Canadians will understand is uniquely Canadian—like where are those stories of you know? And that that's a lot. You know, my my hope would be I'd find it on a dock somewhere, totally soaked <laughs> in paper and wrecked. Uh, you know, it it has everything, even the paper itself. We were talking the art director to make it like it was sun drenched and burned and you know there's even a flip book on the edge wow. it's kind of everything i could dump into you know this kind of emotional experience of what it felt like to me growing up in, in ontario around the lakes um so the next book is like a, a laundry list of you know something completely different and, and the hope is you're just taking those risks and saying let's see if the uh the reader the audience will follow follow me on on this one and and you know expect something new Uh, is my hope each time that that you know you try to write books that you don't see on the shelf you know Mm -hmm. or movies that you like that that where's that movie I want to make that movie the one that's not there yet um so I'm chasing that um as much as I, I I can well
0: I'll look forward to seeing it Alan thanks so much what a what a fun chat
1: thank you so much I really appreciate the time
0: That was Alan Berilero on The Richard Krauss Show. His debut novel, Where the Water Takes Us, is available now, wherever fine books are sold. My guest in this segment is Claire Pooley, author of Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. Here's what you need to know about Claire before we listen to the interview. She spent 20 years working in advertising in England before realizing that her, what she called her wine o'clock habit, was out of control. She started writing a blog called Mummy Was a Secret Drinker, which, over the time that she was writing it, gathered three million hits. Her memoir, The Sober Diaries, was published in 2017 to critical acclaim, and her debut novel, The Authenticity Project, was inspired by her own experiences of exposing the kind of down-low and grubby truth about her own seemingly perfect life. Her new novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting, is an entertaining novel about unexpected friendships and the joy of connecting. It's for readers of authors like Frederick Backman, Rachel Joyce, Matt Haig, Sophie Kinsella, and fans of other feel-good fiction. Claire Pooley joined me via Zoom from New York City. Very interesting to release this book now at a time when I think people are just getting used to commuting again. Uh, we were just talking before I started recording here. You were on the subway a little bit in New York. You said they were empty. Tell me a little bit about uh, what it was about that kind of uh, setting that appealed to you. I love the the idea of it because there's lots of people. You get yeah, to You get to see lots of different characters.
2: And and that was it really because I was writing this book during the pandemic when we were all isolated in our little individual boxes and, you know, I missed friends and family, obviously, but I also really missed strangers, you know, I really miss being in those situations where you're crowded together with loads of people that you've never met before and You know, I started thinking back to my commute and I felt really nostalgic for it, which was a bit of a surprise because, you know, at the time it wasn't my favourite part of the day. But, you know, I remembered how I used to see the same people on the train over and over again and I would make heinous assumptions about them and I would (laughs) make up nicknames for them and imagine what their lives were like. But we never spoke to each other because people on on the the tube in in london or the the trains in london never speak to each other and i just started thinking you know what would have happened if I had had the courage to talk to those strangers on the train, and that's really where the idea of this book came from.
0: And then there's an instigating event. There's a thing that mm-hmm. happens that kind of brings everyone together, and uh, and and reveals a lot about each of these characters. Um, so tell me a little bit about coming up with the idea for that. Was there? Have you seen something terrible on the subway that? It, because people <laughs> come together in adversity.
2: Yes. Uh, and yes, I have. Um, <laughs> I mean, one day I was on the uh, the London Underground on my regular commute to work and on the, the London um, Underground, you you face each other. So there were two rows of seats facing each other. And there was this guy sitting right opposite me who was dressed really smartly. He looked like he had a job in the he was a banker or, or something like that. Very rich. Um, and But he looked really ill. He looked like he'd been out really late drinking too much and um, was feeling, feeling the, the, the effects of it. So he'd sort of gone green and he was sweating and everybody around him was looking at him really nervously because he started retching and we thought, oh my God, he's going to vomit on the tube, which would be a really unpleasant thing for all of us first thing in the morning. And um, not least him. Um, so we were watching him and he picked up his briefcase, the smart leather briefcase, put it on his knee, opened it up and vomited into it. And then he just closed it again, picked it up and got off the tube and <laughs> carried on to work. And we all stared at him and nobody said a word. And <laughs> you know what, Richard, that, that sort of got me thinking, well, if even that isn't enough to get strangers talking,
0: <laughs> what would it take? You're listening to Claire Pooley on The Richard Krauss Show. Find her new novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting, wherever you buy fine books.
2: Which is why the inciting incident in the first chapter of Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting is a near-death experience, because I thought it would it would take somebody being about to die And in this instance, uh, this guy very much like the man I saw on Mm -hmm. on the the tube, you know, a banker dressed very smartly who Iona calls smart but sexist man spreader. Um, And he uh, starts choking on a grate, can't breathe. And they have to give him the Heimlich maneuver which then saves his life. And and yeah, I thought it had to be that dramatic to get through that British reserve.
0: I would have thought that being a backup singer for ABBA may have been <laughs> your dream when you were a child. So You've tell done me about your research. Yeah, <laughs> Tell me about how that happened. You were a backup singer for ABBA when you yeah, were 11 years old.
2: I was. It shows how, how old I am. <laughs> so so when ABBA were um doing their Boulevard tour yeah. uh, which was back in, you know, the Gosh, uh, it was about sort of 1979 or 1980 or something like that. So, I, yes, I was 11. Um, uh, they, I, I was in Brussels. So my parents, uh, my dad worked in Brussels. So we were living out there and um, I was at the British school there and I was in the choir. And um, it turned out that Abba um, had, had written this song called I Have a Dream. And if you listen to that song, you can hear this choir of kids in the background. And they needed a whole bunch of English, you know, kids who could sing in English to be backing singers for this big concert that they were doing at the stadium, uh, you know, the football stadium. Um, and uh, and I remember vividly being in this this sort of uh, this class at school and they somebody came in and said that they had a letter from my parents. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm in big trouble again because yeah. I was always in trouble. <laughs> and I almost didn't give it to my parents. And then. I took it home and and they opened it and they said, oh, they want you to sing in Abba's backing group. (laughs) I was like, you what? (laughs) So, yeah, so I did. And I've got their autographs and they were great. And uh, it's still one of the most thrilling moments of my life. There were 80,000 people and we were sort of standing on stage. So looking at this sort of sea of of people, it's (laughs) extraordinary.
0: That's, that's incredible. 80,000, that, what does, what does it sound like when 80,000 people appreciate something that you've done? At the end of the song, it must have been.
2: Yeah, it's on. extraordinary. I mean, uh, before, before that, we, we had our big moment on stage, we were in the sort of dressing rooms beneath the stage. And at the beginning, we could, you know, before ABBA went on, they, every, there were 80,000 people stamping their feet. <laughs> And it was it was an extraordinary sound. It was quite amazing. Um, and then during the song, because it's a sort of slow song, people and everyone used to smoke in those days. We didn't have iPhones. We yeah. had lighters and people yeah. used to wave their their lighters. So there were sort of, you know, uh, tens of thousands of tiny little fairy lights um, around the stadium. It was. Uh, yeah, um I wish uh, if I wasn't if I wasn't a novelist, I'd love to be a pop star. <laughs> but I think that maybe i I may be too old for that one.
0: <laughs> that was Claire Pooley on the Richard Krause show. Find her new novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting, wherever you buy fine books and maybe pick up an ABBA album while you're out as well. A big thanks to Claire Pooley for stopping by to talk about her book and tell us that great ABBA story. And a big thanks to Alan Lero. His debut novel, Where the Water Takes Us, is available now wherever fine books are sold. It's a lovely novel about a young girl named Ava and her conflicted feelings about her mother's pregnancy and the different ways they affect her behavior as she stays at her grandparents' island home for a summer. The book is already getting rave notices. Kirkus Reviews says that it has warm, intergenerational relationship and strongly drawn characters and is a lyrical and sensitively rendered coming-of-age tale. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.